welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. It's here. If you're watching this episode, the writ's been dropped. God willing, unless Smith did something really, really on brand. But with the election, we're trying to have some conversations with some of the candidates that want to have conversations. And we are very excited to have a little bit of a panel discussion going on tonight. This is hopefully going to go a whole lot better than our first interview with a representative from the Alberta party. Some of you might remember that <laughs> interview and it, uh, it caused a little bit of a little bit of controversy, but uh, I have a feeling tonight is going to go a whole lot smoother. We're joined tonight by five candidates for the Alberta party in the upcoming election, representing almost half of the candidates the Alberta party is running <laughs> in this election. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Welcome to the show to Miles Chikirda, Angela Grace, Janet J. Bush, Brent Tyson, and Jer Jennifer Yeremy. Thank you guys all so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us, Nate. Thanks, Thanks Nate. So we're going to start, and I've already given the the candidates, we'll make it sound official and everything. Uh, I've already given the candidates uh, a little bit of a guideline for how this conversation is going to go. We're going to start with some very basic introductions, and we're going to do this in alphabetical order because that way it doesn't get hopefully too chaotic. Um, and uh, we're going to start Hollywood Square style. We're going to go right underneath me. We're going to start with Miles Chikirda. So Miles, if you could tell our audience who you are, where you're running, and why you're running for the Alberta party. Yeah, well, you've heard my name, Miles Chikurta. Um, I am, I live in Lacombe uh, and I'm running for, again for Lacombe Panoka. I ran here in 2019 um, for the Alberta party. And that was an interesting experience because I had come back from uh, seven years in Los Angeles doing my PhD there and thought I would take a year off and then get back into writing the dissertation and got a little sidetracked um, by that whole political thing and then COVID happened. Um, so yeah, it was been a few interesting years. Um, but now in my my real life, I'm an archaeologist, a classical archaeologist. Um, I study and work in Greece every summer. Um, also chair of the um, Heritage Resource Committee here in Lacombe and serve on another a few other committees around town. So yeah, since COVID led up, I've been getting involved in the community and now decided to throw my hat back in the political ring. So why I'm here. You mentioned a hat. <laughs> But I noticed there's a stunning lack of fedora for an archaeologist. I know the, um, I am a bit of a nerd. So way back in undergrad, I researched the best place to get a replica Indiana Jones hat. And it, and my head is also really huge. So none of them fit at the Disney store. Um, basically, a German guy had created a custom bashing block uh, that made it perfectly. But this was 20 years ago and it cost 600 euros. So yeah, I'm I'm sticking with my Tilly for now because Tilly also has lifetime warranty and they just keep replacing it when it wears out. So can't go wrong with that. Uh, there's a bullwhip joke that I'm probably going to make later, but we'll move on from there. Next up, we've got Dr. Angela Grace, no stranger to the show. Dr. Grace, for our audience who maybe hasn't heard one of the, I don't know, 16 episodes that you've been on, um, who are you? Why are you running for the Alberta Party? Well, as you said it, Dr. Angela Grace. Um, I'm, I'm running for the Alberta party because I firmly believe that we need a change in government. We need to, we need to have more nonpartisan people. And I have declared from the beginning that I'm nonpartisan. I don't, I don't have a specific party. I consider this party to be an umbrella 
of experts in different areas that all want to collaborate and work together. And this is a place where my voice is respected and valued as is everyone else's. So that's part of the reason why I'm running. The other part is clearly education and our children's future. Um, when that curriculum dropped March 30th, 2021, a little spark got lit inside me and then there were rallies and protests and I even symbolically, well, not symbolically, I actually did burn the curriculum. I had a little dumpster fire in my backyard. It's on video. Yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. And I just hear repeatedly parents, teachers, students struggling and suffering. Our public education is really struggling right now from the last four years of political decision-making that is not keeping our students and our teachers at the heart of education. So that's why I'm running. I believe I have a lot to give. I have a lot to share. I have a lot of passion for what I do. And it was time to step up to the plate. Um, May, 2020, May 2022, when Adriana LaGrange said, the curriculum is law, get used to it. Something inside me broke. And I just thought, my I have given every single thing I can as an advocate, and now I want to be at the table. So putting my name in to be at the table. There we go. All right. Janet J. Bush, you're up next. Well, thank you. I am uh, Janet J. Bush on leave of absence from my usual duties, which is as the mayor of the booming metropolis of Mayor Thorpe, Alberta, Canada. I am running in the constituency of Lac St. Anne Parkland, and uh, my journey has been interesting. I was contacted uh, late last fall by an old friend who suggested I challenge the UCP incumbent for the UCP nomination in Lac St. Anne Parkland. And being the cockeyed optimist slash idealist that I am, I thought, you know what, I'm loud and I'm brash and I don't take crap from anybody. I may just do this and maybe my voice is loud enough to, to steer a different course or to help steer a different course. That was until I talked to a former, the former MLA from out here, George Vanderberg, and he said, Janet, I appreciate your passion, but that ship has sailed. You, the UCP party is irredeemable. So I took that little bit of advice and I reached out to my good friend, Barry Morishita, whom I know from my time on the Alberta Municipalities Board of Directors. And I said, Barry, how do I get involved in the constituency association? He said, I don't think there is one. I said, okay, how do I start one? And he said, okay, talk to this guy. So he hooked me up through email with uh, uh, Tyler, I think, with the Alberta party. And um, Tyler sent me an email back that said, um, Great to hear somebody wants to re restart the constituency association in Laxane and Parkland. The next line said, now all we need is a viable candidate. Wink, wink. That's like throwing down, man. I'm not walking away from that. That's, you know, you can't, you can't do that with me and, and expect me to turn another cheek because no, not happening. So um, I'm involved with the Alberta party because like Dr. Grace, I find it um, an umbrella under which many viewpoints come together and share ideas openly and honestly. 
And the other reason I'm here is because I know Barry Morishita and I know him to be one of the most painfully principled human beings I have ever had the privilege to associate with. And that's a banner I can get behind. All right. I was, I was, I was hoping Barry was going to join us tonight. He's probably busy party leader and all of that. Moving on from there, Brent. Uh, good evening, Nate. Uh, Brent Tyson. I am running in Edmonton Decor, where I have I've lived in Edmonton Decor for 30 years, but I've lived in North Edmonton for 30 years. Um, I'm a family lawyer. I'm community minded. I've uh, coached softball. I have umpired softball probably for the last 20 years. Um, in fact, I'm going to be officiating at the U15 Canadian Softball Boys Championships this year. And maybe I'm going to be the only MLA to ever have officiated a national sporting event. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, but, uh, and then beyond that, uh, I'm involved in community theater. Uh, I'm the president of Elope Musical Theater, um, longest uh, running uh, musical theater uh, community dance group in Edmonton celebrating 40 years this year. Um, I volunteer for Alberta Justice. I've, uh, since 2005, I've done probably about 1,500 child support resolution meetings where we try and keep people out of court and sort things out. I donate my Wednesdays. Uh, how did I get involved in this stuff, you'd say? Um, you know, I was in hospital, um, with COVID in October. Um, it happened to be timed perfectly with the emergency act commission. And so I was watching that daily, um, driving me nuts, but you know, uh, I, and then I watched it when I got home. And then I was watching the UCP actually supporting these guys and what they're doing. And I've been living eight years of a binary system of the two parties doing nothing but hating each other and fear-mongering everybody. This whole election is about fear. They're all doing fear of the other side. And I went, there's got to be something I can do. So I did a little research. I bought an Alberta party membership. And then I got contacted. And then in the discussions, when I got, you know, was talking about myself, it was suggested, well, maybe you should run into court. You know, you're, you know, people there, uh, you've lived there practically a lifetime. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at. That's how I got here. Perfect. So you bought a membership for the Alberta party and they didn't take it away. That's delightful. Jennifer, you're up next. Jenny, please, it's what's going on the ballot. I'm more of a Jenny than a Jennifer, even though that is correct. Um, yeah, so my journey is interesting as well. So I never thought I'd be in politics, but um, in two years ago, when, when actually, I guess it's more than two, three years ago almost, when COVID started, there was a, um, the money that went into the, the industry the um, $1.7 billion that was to clean up the oil and gas sites, I was put on that file um, for Canadian Natural. 
I worked it for two years. And in that time, I, you know, being a geophysicist and never having um, been involved in reclamation work, I had a huge learning curve for me and, and policy and regulations as well. So massive learning curve. But at the end of it, came to realize that we're not looking at this problem correctly. So I tried to push forward some, some initiatives internally, weren't really well received. And at the same time, I was offered, um, well, um, I, I know somebody from the Alberta party quite well, Amy Shantz, anybody who's dealt with the Alberta party knows Amy. Um, she's been with the party for what, 10 years, I think, or at least five. She's been watching politics for 10. Anyway, so her and I have known each other for that amount of time and we managed to connect last February. And she mentioned exactly what Brett was describing this, this um, two-party system and how it's not going to work and, and, and the lack of direction um, that, that I might not be aware of. So when she, when she pointed that to me, I, she was right. So specifically in, in energy and in the energy transition, I don't, see a, I don't see a plan on either side of the aisle. So it was that coupled with um, in May, I saw Barry and Carrie speak at the function and the three principles of the party just came glaring out at me. To me, it's, you know, like Angela said, we need, it's a big space. We need lots of different views and the party having the three principles of, of not only looking at, at profitability or prosperity, but also caring about people in the environment at the same time. To me, those just resonated as this is where I need to be. Plus, as Janet was kind of pointing to, I'm not really somebody who fits in the typical box. So, you know, I, I'm, I usually challenge the status quo, which is not really welcome in, in a system where we have two teams that are follow a tight line. So anyway, um, that's how I got here. Long story short, around two, running for as a candidate. Oh, and I should say, I did read um, uh, The Sum of Us by Heather McGee, and that was probably the biggest thing that put me over the, the edge, which is we've written policies for a few people, and we need to expand it to be written for the, the people that are actually here in this province, not just specifically in this province, but in the world. That's We're doing it wrong. So learning that was really key for me to understand that I needed to go to government to help solve this problem. Perfect. All right. We're going to see if it looks like we might be joined at the, the midnight hour by the uh, the sixth candidate for for the Alberta party. He said cautiously, if not optimistically, we'll see if she can uh, hit the ground running or perhaps we'll just we're we're be we're we're going to have a great conversation with the font tonight. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, in, in the meantime, while we see whether or not the font turns into a person. Um, I, and we can come back if, if, if Carrie. Nate, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to point out, at least we have a name and a computer. It's not a plant. This is true. Like this would be if it were a forum with other certain parties. This is true. And you know what? A name is a heck of a lot more than an empty desk too. So full props there as well. Um, I'm just hitting all the inside baseball jokes tonight. And like, there's going to be five people who get them. I think miles is the only one so far, but it's totally worth it for me. Um, what I want to do now is kind of run the room and you guys have all talked a little bit. I mean, most of you have referred to the fact that you find the Alberta party to be sort of this, uh, umbrella corporation, if you will, that, uh, allows all of these different new ideas to, to evolve, uh, and, and be shared. Um, I'd like to hear from each of you, 
what is a, a policy that you can get behind with the Alberta Party? One of the things that we've heard a lot of people say is, I don't know what the Alberta Party stands for. And so we want to try to give a bit of an opportunity to, to hear from everybody what the Alberta Party stands for. But before we do that, it looks like we've got some video coming in from uh, one of the other candidates for one of the more, let's go, dynamic constituencies. Um, it looks like she's connecting to audio right now. Carrie Kundal, are you there? I am. <laughs> oh, what a, what a day. We were doing some door knocking and then one of the volunteers had a flat tire. Uh, so anyway, my apologies uh, for joining late. And uh, as most of you know, I'm not a super tech savvy person. So I'm on my phone in my vehicle joining you. <laughs> That's I mean, life, life on the campaign trail. <laughs> it's true, though. Um so I'm going to come, I'm going to just rewind the tape before we get to the policy thing for a sec, because Carrie, what we were just sort of doing is giving everybody the opportunity to do a, a minute or two on who they are and why they're running for the Alberta party. Everybody else is gone. That makes it your turn. So who is Carrie Condal? <laughs> why is she running for the Alberta party? Hey, thanks, Nate. And thanks for doing this and, and giving us a platform as, as sort of an underdog third option on the ballot and in the number of ridings in the province. You know, for me, I actually got involved uh, because of Greg Clark. And uh, as, as many know, he served in Calgary Elbow as our Alberta Party MLA. And he served well. I was inspired uh, by what he offered us. And he was my MLA. And he was above the fray in terms of the divisiveness. He was a very pragmatic uh, MLA. He listened, listened to constituents. It was genuine representative uh, democracy. And so it wasn't about the party or um, about two political leaders. For, for Greg, it was just about local representation. And, and that's exactly why I'm doing this too, Nate. It's how do we get beyond the noise and really, in essence, transcend party politics? Now, I know that's, <laughs> you know, pretty high level and we're going up to the 30,000 foot view. What I know for sure is that what we're seeing right now in at a very close election with two very dominant parties and, and two dominant leaders is the fighting, the divisiveness is not going to help us get results and move our province forward. It's going to require some level of collaboration across political party lines and it's also going to require collaboration with uh, all orders of government sorry I'm, I might have a low so oh, sorry I think I'm having some technical issues here hopefully I don't lose you um, but it's going to require collaboration with all orders of government municipal and federal as well as consultation and genuine collaboration with a healthcare professionals to move things forward on healthcare, educators to move things forward and with education. And that's kind of what's missing right now. So, you know, it's we're we're a long shot. Everybody understands that. However, it's been done before in Calgary Elbow specifically. And so I'm gonna give it all I got right to the end and and give people that option on the ballot. All right. I think it's worth noting since you since you invoked the name Unless I'm wrong with my history, Greg Clark was was in fact the the last MLA for Calgary Elbow who served his 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 term for the period he was elected for. Am I am I mistaken on that? 
I, you know, I, I, you mean just recently? Absolutely. If how far back we want to go in, in uh, Alberta political history, I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but certainly uh, recently, yes. And, you know, anybody who knows me for more than five minutes, if, if I'm elected, I will serve the four year terms. I mean, I'd have to be knocking on heaven's door for me not to finish the four years uh, of service if I'm elected. So yes, like Greg Clark, people can count on me to be there for them right from start to the end and, and not just show up uh, during election. In fact, I started this campaign uh, May 29th, 2022. So I've been knocking on doors <laughs> for almost a year. <laughs> And we're on our second visits now. We've we've done the whole riding. We're on our second visits, and and we'll make sure we get at least one more touch point a third time here before May 29th. So I'm all in on this. There's no question about that. There we go. And you won the alphabet game because uh, oh no wait, Miles does. I was I had to go to the second letter. <laughs> Miles gets to go first. That's his, right. <laughs> his his favorite policy. So Miles, what's the policy that the Alberta Party's? You know, we're talking about the Alberta Party identity a little bit. What's the policy that the Alberta Party is bringing forward that you're just like, yeah, that's one here. Honestly, for me, it's because it's my workplace is post secondary education. Um, really, for the past ten years in Alberta, uh, we have seen this area kicked to the ground. Um, really, it started with with um, the cuts around 2014. U of A was cut something like 147 million dollars. We saw departments that were um, ranked top 20 in the world just decimated. Um, and of course, it it's continued from them. Promised um, increases turned into actual real cuts every year. And of course, when UCP came along, I was in the rotunda for their first budget. And it dropped and I opened the budget on my phone and I looked, I looked at the post-secondary line. I was like, oh my God, goodness. Like it, and it's continued since then. Um, I see students angry, depressed, frustrated. I see faculty the same way. And what it's come so long because in 2008, our, our little thing at U of A, their, their um, goal was top 20 by 2020 in the world. And now it's like, Keep the lights on by 2025, it seems. Um, so what well, what does the Alberta party bring there? I think, unfortunately, it's it's stupid that this is exciting for me, but something like stable, predictable funding is really super important. In 2019, that is something we promised for post-secondary is you know, set in stone three-year funding plans. Of course, today the budget does put a, a few years, but we've all of course, every year we see that can go anyway. Um, it's that stability, researchers, educators, students who are planning tuition uh, need that sort of stuff. Also, making sure our tuition increases aren't 5% this year, 25% next year, 2%. You know, it, it makes things really chaotic, not just for students, but also for everyone on the other side of things, for staff, for faculty, not knowing if their department's even going to have the lights on the next day. Um, so yeah, I mean, other ideas, I, I would personally, I jumped into this election pretty late, um, basically last week, some other areas I, I haven't talked to, uh, Barry Pound and stuff is looking at centers of excellence in the province. Like I said, we had these places that were top 20 in the world. Let's find those departments and do something to insulate them against 
stupid government choices, whether that's helping set up endowed chairs, things like that. Um, so those people are in place. And another one that doesn't really get talked a lot about is what we can do, um, what the government can do to encourage, I, I, I really believe in academic freedom and the freedom of those institutions. The government, even though it's publicly funded, shouldn't really be coming in and saying, you know, micromanaging. That's another thing we've seen a lot. But encourage these institutions to do things to secure employment for the teaching staff. So in a lot of our universities, there are, you know, there's faculty, you know, tenure track, et cetera. And the people who are, there's people who are doing just teaching, uh, whether on, co and basically contract staff. And they're always in, mostly in a nebulous state of employment. Like, do I have a contract next, next semester? So what can we do to secure those positions more, but also open up opportunities for them to also participate in research, particularly pedagogical research, get grant money that way, um, because they are, and I'm, I'm an ATS at U of A, academic teaching staff, and you know we're all we're all working together. So what can we do there to to make sure everyone kind of has the same opportunities? Okay, boring stuff, but really, <laughs> for me, and I think a lot of people in the post academic or the post secondary world, really important stuff. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to continue on with the alphabetical order just so that I don't <laughs> confuse myself because all it takes is something shiny and I fall apart. Uh, so Carrie, what is one policy that you are excited about what, that, that you think <laughs> other people can get excited about with the Alberta party? Yeah, well, you know, a, a good segue from what Miles was just saying too. I recently met um, with the VP of Mount Royal University and he told me that 2015 to 2019, the NDP had done some work on a predictable, stable funding model, and then it pretty much went nowhere and they did nothing with it. So I just want to echo everything that Miles just said. I, I think the area where the Alberta Party for me is, is really adding value in this election is around healthcare. And I say that because one of the things we're committed to is transparency and honesty, honesty uh, in government, and I think both parties are having a really dishonest conversation right now about healthcare. It's a big deal. It's a huge part of the budget of, of our spending in our province, and we've got to get this right, and it's got to be durable and long-term and sustainable. And so the Alberta Party is very practical the way we approach this. I mean, number one, we've got to be listening to people in healthcare on the front lines and implementing some of the solutions that they're looking at. The crossover between academic institutions and that idea of long-term thinking, we need more spots available. The VP at MRU was telling me, you need almost a 95% average to get into nursing right now. And there's just not enough spots. And MRU has the only bridging program um, for foreign trained nurses. So, you know, you don't have a hospital if you don't have nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals, you know, and that's just an empty building. So it's really an HR crisis right now. And the Alberta party and, and Barry has, has spoken to this uh, a number of times in terms of some of the policies that we're putting forward in terms of expanding long-term investment in education, which means investment in healthcare professionals, future healthcare professionals, and, and being open-minded to, you know, this idea of, of public healthcare. Sorry, I'm, I, might, I might lose you here, Nate. Sorry. I'm, I, I might lose you here, so I'll just quickly wrap up. But anyway, very practical, practical solutions from the Alberta Party 
exploring, you know, licensed uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. There's only one program in Ontario that offers that. I think there's more job opportunities and more innovation, not just investment in money, which we need, also innovation in delivery. But the number one thing is to have an honest conversation about mixed delivery and some of the things that currently exist right now in our healthcare system in Alberta, rather than trying to frame this as a purely public versus private debate. And I don't think there's anybody either in the NDP or the UCP or anybody in Alberta that's looking south of the border and saying, ah, that's what we want. Um, nobody's saying that, including the UCP. So for the for the NDP to frame it that way, I think is dishonest. And on, on the other hand, I don't see either party genuinely being innovative, uh, what our future healthcare system could look like. And that includes prevention and it includes appropriate funding for mental health. Because mental health care is health care. And other provinces like PEI are ahead of us on this, and we got to catch up. So um, my battery's low on my phone, I apologize. Um, but that's the healthcare stuff. I think we're a value add in this, in this election. And I think we've put forward some really good practical ideas on how we're going to move things forward. Um, and certainly it starts with collaboration and listening to healthcare professionals. So um, thanks again, Nate, for doing this for us and, and helping us at least at least so people know in a number of writings, they've got another option on the ballot. There we go. All right. And I mean, there's certainly I think, an argument to be made that some of the healthcare policies that the Alberta party has, has brought forward are, uh, you know, viable because we, we saw Danielle Smith steal at least one of them in the last couple of months. So, you know, there's, there's that. Um, Dr. Grace, what's the, what's the, I, I feel like it's going to have something to do with education, but what's the policy that you're most excited about for the Alberta party? Oh, well, I'm going to talk about oil and gas. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Because Go. I'm going to talk about oil and gas because that's what the UCP wants in their education policy. It's, <laughs> it's all about planning for the economy and the future and competitiveness in energy. And I'm like, okay. So here's the deal with education. This is where I have something and, and being part of the Alberta party, we have something really, really special to offer. So if we think about in terms of, I'll just go with curriculum, okay? That's what got me started in this. So that's, that's what I'll talk about for, for a couple, couple minutes here. Um, so the curriculum process was started in 2010 by the former PC government. It was carried on, same process, 2015, by the NDP. There was no, like, they were just overseeing it. And it was being done by teachers and subject matter experts. And it was being done really, really well. Along comes Jason Kenney. We're going to shred the curriculum. There's not enough, there's not enough war dead in our elementary curriculum. So it got shredded. And we saw what's happened since then. So my question is, how can anybody trust the UCP government to develop a nonpartisan curriculum? How, how can we trust any of it? So the NDP have come along and wonderfully said that in 90 days, they will stop the draft curriculum. That's fantastic. It absolutely needs to happen. However, now, now that this chaos caused by the UCP around curriculum development has happened. People don't trust the UCP to do it. And 
it stirred up so much that people don't trust the NDP because NDP supporters will say, oh, there's this UCP content. UCP supporters will say there's this NDP content. And what we truly need is the curriculum process separate from government. Still, I mean, we still have to pay for it. Government still has to pay for it. But it is our government's responsibility. It is our civic responsibility to have an excellent quality public education. And things are in shambles right now. Nobody trusts the other side. So literally, here I am coming right up the middle. I've declared from the beginning, I'm as nonpartisan as I can be. My, my PhD and my role as a psychologist teach me to take my biases, set them off over here, and look for the evidence-based best practices that are going to inform education. And that's what the Alberta party can truly offer. The other thing that we want to do is enshrine the process, the curriculum development process for the future, so that this disaster never happens again, so that it is an arm's length away with, you know, a, and I don't know what this looks like, because we need a lot more people at the table to talk about it, but to have it an arm's length away and perhaps a liaison between curriculum development and redevelopment, because it, it needs to happen, and government interference. And I think overall, that's what we've seen with this government is terrible government interference where it shouldn't be. Okay. And the other thing I noticed for, for education, neither of the big parties are talking about what parents and teachers are really concerned about. There's some things coming up that are really, concer really concerning. So for example, seclusion rooms. Neither party's saying they're going to ban them. You bet the Alberta party's going to ban them, but we're not just gonna ban them because they've been needed for children with behavioral, behavioral difficulties who, who need a space to calm down. Um, and that's understandable when you've got huge class sizes. Like I was a teacher, I know. Yeah, some, sometimes there's, you need, you need an extra hand and a kid can't be there, but in my work with autism and in my work in other schools is we need sensory rooms. We need safe places where they can be comfortable and safe places where they can settle down. And no, I am not declaring every school is getting a sensory room. It doesn't work that way. But what the Alberta party does is returns the decision-making back to the school boards. And so it's local. Like I've worked in both rural and urban schools. So I understand the challenges and, you know, and the diversity within each. And so one school may need a sensory room, another may not. The other thing I don't see from either of the parties is talking about children with disabilities and how we're truly going to shift and change and go for um, inclusion and actually meeting their needs. And like I said, I don't have all the answers, but you know who does? the parents and the teachers who work with kids with disabilities, they know what needs to happen and they need government support in order to do that. Class sizes have been on the board for years. And I really grapple with that because it's infrastructure that we need to deal with. So I don't have the answers, but I do know if I were the elected, you know, elected official, I mean, 
let's be honest, if I could just apply for Minister of Education, I'd just like CV right there, right now. You know, the other thing people aren't talking about is air quality in schools. We are still in a pandemic. Kids are still getting sick. Why aren't there Corsi Rosenthal boxes in every classroom? They're cheap, they're easy, parents are offering to do it. There is so much that we can do. Yes, and, and you know, thinking about nourishing our kids, like food programs. I can't say the Alberta party is going to do a food program, but what I can say is if it is needed, if the parents and teachers and students are asking for it, it is government's responsibility to do the best they can to meet those needs. Here's the other thing. One more, one more thing I'll chat about, mental health in schools. I'm a psychologist. I've studied comprehensive school health for 20 years. So I don't see anything in UC, UCP policy about mental health in schools, nothing, not, not even mentioned. What I hear from the NDP is that they're going to put a mental health counselor in every school. Great, that's awesome. But I've been that person. You are run off your feet and you cannot meet all the needs. So what I bring, this isn't even Alberta party, this is just me being here. I have 20 years studying comprehensive school health, have all the evidence-based best practices to train our teachers. And it's already, it's already in the ministerial order, but this government is not doing anything about it. It's not even following the plan for education. Nate, we could do a whole other episode on this, but I, I need like to I feel like we're almost wrap it up for everybody else. <laughs> All right. Moving on from there. Janet, what is the 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 policy that the Alberta Party brings to the table that just makes you go, oh, that's the one? You know what? We're um I'm gonna leave the discussion about the uh legal the legal system, the courts and all of that stuff to Brent, because that's his bailiwick. Um but when I was part of the Alberta Municipalities Board of Directors, we got into some pretty long discussions about policing reform in the province of Alberta. Um, you know, the UCP government has been touting the creation of an Alberta Provincial Police Force since they took office. What I hear from the NDP is basically, well, we won't get rid of the RCMP. That's pretty much all I'm hearing from the NDP, the, nothing else. And when you when you talk to... I was at an Alberta municipalities uh, conference and actually happened to be moderating a bear pit session where there's ministers on the stage and the then minister of uh, justice and solicitor general, Tyler Shandro was there. And I, I put it to him. I said, you know what? We've been hearing about this Alberta provincial police force now for quite a while. I have one question for you. What exactly is the problem that you're trying to solve? And he said, well, there is no problem. And I said, then why? There is no clear answer. So in broad strokes, is there room to improve policing in the province of Alberta? Absolutely, no question at all. Whatever difficulties the RCMP may be experiencing at this point in time are systemic and just putting a Band-Aid on it with a, a different police force is not going to fix it. We need to talk about open collaborative communications amongst all levels of government and amongst all service providers. We need to get into conversations about 
how you support the RCMP or whatever police service there is, how you support them with um, by backstopping the mental health stuff that Angela just so correctly talked about. Because these we've got some serious root causes for crime in this province, and that's what we have to address. The Alberta Party is, is looking at this from a holistic standpoint, where they're going to talk about mental health supports, and they're going to talk about getting down to the root causes. And they're going to talk about technological solutions for more remote communities. And they want to talk about building capacity for first point of contact where it's not just the RCMP that are responding to some of these, these calls where a mental health professional is probably more qualified to deal with the situation than police are. You know, I have a, a, a brother that was a cop in the city of Saskatoon for almost 30 years. And he told me a long time ago that the problem with policing in the Western world vis-a-vis Canada and the United States is that police forces have become very militaristic in how they deal with things, how they train, how they deploy, how they do all of those things. He told me that years ago and it stuck with me. And as I think about this policing situation, that's where those changes have to come in. It's it's in the model itself. So there's, a, and this is something I can talk about for days. Um, within the model itself, you're taught, you talk about how policing is delivered, um, both in the metro areas and in small rural communities and in rural Alberta in general. You talk about how that policing is delivered. There's not enough boots on the ground. There never are. Um, the, the Alberta party is talking about adding to the complement of sheriffs in the province, which I will admit the UCP has said they're going to do. Um, but the, the Alberta party doesn't want to get rid of the RCMP. My fear with the UCP at this point is the addition of the sheriffs and most recently the $10 million they dumped in the laps of the city of Grand Prairie to start their own municipal police force. This is them chipping away at what we've already got in the province of Alberta. And I ain't cool with that. Most of the people that I talk to out here in, in blue bleeding rural Alberta have no desire to get rid of the RCMP. They want to keep the RCMP. Probably nowhere is that sentiment stronger than in the neighborhood that I live in. I'm from Mayorthorpe. The Fallen Four Memorial Park literally has a home in this town. So the legacy that the RCMP has in Mayorthorpe is longstanding and probably one of the most poignant ones in the province, if, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, I could talk about this for days. But the other thing with policing that really needs to be looked at is the funding model. Um, right now, I don't think it's as equitable as it could be because you've got uh, municipalities that have um, contract policing through the RCMP, sorry, through the RCMP, municipalities over $5,000 are um, paying under a different uh, level than what municipalities under 5,000 or 5,000 people are like town of Mayerthorpe still pays policing costs. It's gone up from 23,000 to, I think next year we're up over 60 over four years. It's increased like that. And we have to absorb that. We can't, we can't put a special levy on our tax notices. We can't, we can't do any, we have to absorb it. We have to figure out a way around it and figure out a way to deal with it. So I think there needs to be um, a, a, a holistic look at the funding model for policing in the province of Alberta, where it's contract policing through the RCMP, because I think it needs to be more equitable. Right now, there's 
quite a bit of imbalance in all of that. And I think there needs to be some more equity there. The other thing that the UCP is not talking about, and um, I fairly confident in saying they've underestimated what it's going to cost to transition to a provincial police force. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about that at all. They keep using Surrey as a model for transitioning to a, a to a provincial police force. Keep using Surrey as a model. Do you know that Surrey is still struggling to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and their budget has more than doubled for their transition. And it's literally, last I heard, the transition itself is literally falling apart. So anyways, that's my big soapbox about policing. I got a bunch of other stuff I'd love to talk about, but I think that's a pretty good segue to turn it over to Brent and he can talk to you about justice in the courts and stuff like that. I don't even need to host this anymore. You're taking care of this for me. That's there you go. Brent. What do you got? Ah, yes. Well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about justice in the courts. And uh, and yeah, I know. Sorry. But yeah, yeah. I'm not passionate about justice in the courts, which is what uh, Nate was kind of looking for. Although I could talk to you about access to justice and all of these wonderful things and how legal aid has gone into the dumpster because I've watched it happen in th- over I get my 30-year certificate practicing law coming up in, in August. But what I want to talk about is affordability, uh, which kind of has a justice component to it. Uh, and I want to talk about three related incidents, uh, 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 three related plaques or planks, rather. Um, uh, our affordability platform is has got so many um, uh, categories in it. I'm just going to boil it down. So I want to first talk about income supports and how we want to uh, create a unified uh, income support system where all of our income supports of every stripe of every measure across the province over five years will be consolidated into a single program and a single administration, saving millions of dollars uh, in administrative costs. Second point on that, is of course uh, indexing, and we will index these. I want to point out as uh, as we go um, uh, as as I go through this, uh, NDP on this particular issue only wants to retroactively correct the indexing, and they posted that that will give their ACE patients, our ACE recipients rather, one hundred and thirty five dollars extra a month, and that's what they got. And the UCP says, well, we'll give you $100 a month for six months if you fall into one of our anointed categories. So ignoring all kinds of other people. Uh, But what I'm talking about is what the Alberta Party is going to do that's different from them. And so that's the first thing, unify all these supports. Second thing is after indexing, let these people earn a living wage before you start cutting back their supports. The Alberta Party will not allow that to happen. We will allow people receiving supports to earn up to a living wage. We're looking right now to call that minimum wage because that's what other people are earning. But as long as you can earn up to $31,200 a year uh, combined with your support, the government shouldn't be taking your money away from you. 
there are people on supports out there that aren't working because they don't want the clawback and they have to work twice as hard to make a fraction uh, more than what they're earning. So that's one very, very important uh, point. Uh, we also are uh, uh, going to be giving students $600 a year over and above their uh, going on to Miles' uh, uh, post-secondary post -secondary students, $600 top up on their student loans uh, each year to help them with rising costs of food and that sort of thing. It's not a great deal, but when we add up $600 for each student and the number of post-secondary students we have, that's $54 million to, uh, to put into the bank uh, just to help students uh, fight rising, rising costs. Um, moving on now, we've got to get housing crisis dealt with. We've got homeless people. We've got impoverished people who are, are living in tiny little places with too many people. They need proper housing. How are we going to deal with that? Well, the UCP is going to sell off their social housing, their pr provincial owned housing. I, I read that last month or the month before. So they want to sell it off and privatize it and let some landlord make money off of people receiving social assistance. Um, there was a guy, he went, uh, what was his name now? Gah, whatever. I mean, the slum lords, like this is basically what's gonna happen with these people, or that's what I think. Uh, the NDP, they say deepest need. That's what they say, that's good, because that's what we say. People who need it most get it. Um, they throw out there that they're gonna uh, have uh, 40,000 affordable housing units, but they don't really say how, where, when, who gets them, uh, or anything like that. Um, we think the most important thing, and I use uh, the ATCO Veterans Village as a model, which is right by my home. Um, that's a privately uh, not-for-profit uh, funded in partnership with construction companies and utility companies, and they built a, a uh, modular home for homeless veterans, uh, very successful program. If they can do that on such a small scale, why cannot Alberta do that for our homeless and our impoverished people so that they have, the first place they need is dignity. They need a home because while homeless people or unhoused people are on the street, old and hungry, they turn to the drugs, they turn to the booze. That's, that's what makes them happy. Get them a home get them supports, get them psychologists, get them uh, treatment counselors and social workers and the right supports while they're there. Uh, they will not be on the street. They will, and this has been proven over and over again. Uh, there will be less ambulance calls, less calls to the emergency wards, uh, lower costs to healthcare, policing, uh, less calls by the police having to deal with situations. Sometimes people have to get charged. Now they go through the justice system. It's been proven that doing this for uh, the the, un, the un, unfortunate people in our society, actually in the long run, saves you money, saves you money. Um, places where it's been done, oddly enough, Houston, I've got an article. They, they house 24,000 homeless people and it's successful. Finland has done it. And I'll tell you the result there, four out of five homeless people were housed, four out of five of the housed homeless people became productive citizens with jobs. Now, how can you beat that? I mean, I mean, really. Um, for seniors, property taxes, tax deductible. 
You can't pay tax on tax, especially when you're on a fixed income. So that's, and my passion is there, Nate, because my office is downtown across from the courthouse, across from all of the supports for uh, homeless people. I've met numerous and made friends with them over the years. Um, there have been stories about Ryan and Jesse, both of those guys uh, we know. Uh, there, we call them our our uh, work neighbors, and uh, you know I want to help them out, and that's my that's my bailiwick. Okay, all right, Jenny. I didn't do Jennifer. I did Jenny. Hey, thanks, Jenny. Hey, what's your thing? And you better not say our star, otherwise we're going to have us a problem here. <laughs> yeah, you love our star. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I know. Okay, so I get to cheat a little bit because my thing is all things. <laughs> so um, obviously energy is my is my focus, but the the epiphany that I came to last year while working in industry is that we're not looking at the energy transition holistically enough. So we're talking about it as if it's an, an emissions problem alone, and it's not. So to me, this is the, the fundamental piece that is a part of the Alberta policy, Alberta party policy that that I helped get in there, which is life cycle management. So it's not just thinking about emissions, but thinking about water, land, life, and the resources required to do what we do. So the, 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 the epiphany that I had was that we're looking at this problem from the inside and we're just tacking an emissions project on. So for example, we're just gonna continue developing oil and gas and we're going to do carbon capture and storage. Well, the challenge with that is, is that is even more resource intensive. It doesn't reduce the amount of resources. So where, and what I believe is occurring now, you can see this with supply chain, is that we are coming at to a head in terms of our resources in this province. So we, you know, an example is Trans Mountain. It costs three times the estimated amount. And you could say the same for the public or the private funded coastal link pipeline. So you can't say it's a, um, or a federal government problem, which, I need to point out at the doors today, I had a man who worked in the oil and gas industry saying that the federal government hasn't helped us build pipelines. Well, Trans Mountain wouldn't have been built without the federal government's assistance. So we need to remember that as, as Albertans, that you know the federal government stepped in when all the companies were leaving to the states because oil prices fell through the tank and there was no opportunity for that. So um, the, the so we, you know, built a platform in Citizen Citizen Lab here um, with the Alberta Party. Really quite proud of it. So to me, it's not just talking about, like I said, emissions. It's not just assuming that we're going to flip a switch and, and have an electrical world. It's understanding that we have to look after our habitats. We have to restore our environments. And this, we need to recenter our government out of energy alone. We need it to be centered on our basic needs. We need it to be centered on the entire energy system, which includes food, water, energy, sewage, sanitation, heating and cooling, and, and all the industries that support our food transportation and everything else, right? So our my the opportunity I see that I would like to bring to, to the government is to have a consistent measurement system across the ministries. So each ministry should be using those same um, metrics to move us together. So that's why I say I get to cheat a little bit, Nate, because I want to touch all the ministries but to have the same. So to me, it's if we have 2050 targets in one facet, why wouldn't we have 2050 targets in every facet? 
This way, we don't have to wonder from government to government where the bouncing ball is going. We know where we're headed and we can use, like Angela and others were pointing out, a group of citizens to make sure that we have checks and balances in place. And, and I should say land stewards, because I need to also talk about how we do work needs to change. We cannot do top-down decision-making from governments. We need to include, and I'll say it for the energy industry, Indigenous people need, they have suffered the largest consequences of the, the impact that we've had on the environment. They need to be at the table first and foremost. It has to be a joint built decision. And when, you know, I'm looking at, I reviewed the, the you know, it's called the Emission Reduction and Energy Development Plan. So right there, we're only talking about emissions. There is no mention in here of any habitat restoration whatsoever. And what also is missing is any timelines, any interim timelines for methane reduction. Um, they talk about methane, but they don't give any targets as to where they're going to get there. Essentially, what I see going wrong in government is that we have each, we understand that each facet needs to contribute, you know, like we've talked about agriculture in here. There's no understanding of what targets agriculture is doing to get us there, right? So to me, it's again, we need to have consistent metrics. And I think this will be the way, you know, Brent touched on it, where this is how I picture Alberta being a boat taking on water. And the two parties that I see in, in for the energy um, platform, at least, is they're just taking a, a can and they're trying to bail that water up. We need to plug the boat first. We can continue with the can, right? But we need to plug the boat as well. We have to look at being proactive in every area. You know, now, like I said, I'm going to cheat. Carrie talked about healthcare. We need to be preventative medicine, focused on prevention. Angela talked about mental health. We need to make sure that we are teaching children EQ. These, we need to embrace these skills. We know that EQ is more valuable in generating success in people than IQ. So why do we still have a system that runs on them, right? So to me, it's backing up the bus and making sure, as Barry says, we want to look at outcomes. We want to have a goal and we want to be, know that we are always aiming for people to be successful and to feel safe in this province and to know that we are moving in the same direction today, regardless of parties, as Angela said. These aren't, these aren't NDP or UCP problems. These are we problems. And until we get to that place, where we are willing to talk to each other, we're not going to progress because we can't leave anybody behind. That's not the way it works. That was a rant. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. That was good, though. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> now we're going to get to some of the, the the harder questions. This is the the yeah, I, I I tried to build this around a, a certain bit from a Marvel movie because these are the things that I do to entertain myself. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do sort of our infinity war lightning round is the theme because that's fun and as it turns out we have paraphernalia uh with the candidates today so we got some we got some some stuff going on there first question this is and and i want to try to keep the answers I, I, i'll let you all have some latitude on the last round try to keep the answers as short and as succinct as you can because it gets to the core of some of the questions that i'm going to ask so the First question that I, you know, that has to be asked, and I'm sure that some of you are getting this at the door, is as of right now, the Alberta party is running 13 candidates. 
there's 87 seats in the legislature. So the first question is, where is the Alberta Party? What is it that the Alberta Party wants to uh, accomplish? What do you see yourself as an independent MLA, if elected, accomplishing, uh, given that no matter what, you're not going to be in a position to form government? Uh, and unless something catastrophic happens, you won't be in a position to form opposition. We'll start with Miles. Miles, where is the Alberta Party? Well, I, when you've looked at any, when you look at any change in this province, it doesn't necessarily happen with uh, one election. The, the NDP one in 2015 was a little bit of a an odd duck in terms of the the history of Alberta, but things change, and there's usually one election and then it pivots hard. Um, you know, 2019, I was hearing a lot of things at the doors where people were like, well, the UCP is new. We're going to try them out. And remember, I'm in rural Alberta. This is blue conservative land. Um, this last weekend, the last two weekends, I did trade shows at Lacombe and Pinoca. And wow, it was very different. There was a lot of people saying, yeah, we tried the UCP. Didn't like them but we're not going to go NDP. So it's about giving people option. And I think there's a lot of room there. And ultimately, if where we are as a party is giving people that democratic option so they can get out there and vote for something instead of plugging their nose or doing this vote against thing, I think that's a great thing. Okay. Dr. Grace, where's the Alberta party? Yeah. Same. Um, I so I'm I'm telling people, and I'm very clear. We are we are not forming government. However, what we can do is form a minority government. Is we can start to think of it like, okay, think think of think of Alberta like an old rusty playground right now. We've got the teeter totter that's all rusted out, and you know, kids have been bounced off this side and then this side, and we're just going back and forth now. If this side wins this election with a majority government, you can guarantee. We're, we're in for another four years, and then it's going to be this. If we get some Alberta party or even Green Party seats in there, we can hold the balance and start to show Alberta what they're asking for. Like I'm running for the Alberta party, and what I'm hearing at the doors is this is what people are asking for. Oh, good. There's someone in the middle. Oh, good. There's someone not extreme. Getting it from both sides. So I like to see us be the wedge in the playground to make make the equipment safe again. Okay. Janet. You know, I will echo what uh, both Miles and uh, Dr. Angela said, but I'm also going to add, you mentioned 13 candidates and there are 87 constituencies. Fair. That's the math, man. That is the math. But we're talking about 13 quality candidates out of 87 constituencies. And we all know for sure the UCP is parachuting people into, into ridings that they don't think they can win otherwise. And they're patching the boat to use an analogy from Jenny. And they're, I mean, they're just throwing stuff and seeing where it sticks. You've got what you've got here with the Alberta Party and this, the Alberta Party 13, I'm going to start calling us. Um is a group of quality people who are doing this for the right reason. When I hear people talk about why they're running, it's, you know, they've got platitudes about this and platitudes about that. I had no aspirations to provincial politics at all. But when I looked at what the alternatives were and 
embrace the fact that I know the guy who's behind the Alberta party right now, there isn't a better place to be in this political climate. There is not a better place to be. All right. Brent? Well, this gets harder after each person because most of the ideas of, of my colleagues are also reasons for me and probably Jenny when you get to her. So she's going to be the one uh, really tough to find something new to say. Um, but, uh, but for me, um, I, believe, I believe in democracy. I believe that uh, a third voice in, in 13 of the 87 elections going on, on May uh, 29th, there isn't one going on, there's 87 of them going on. And uh, if we can get a couple of people uh, with our foot in the door uh, this election, then that's where we start to build from. Uh, this party is is community, as far as I've seen thus far, uh, which may not have been the case in the past. I don't know. I wasn't involved. Uh, not my circus, not my monkeys kind of thing. So, but I've, you know, I, I met a lot of people at the AGM. I've uh, poured over an awful lot of policy. I've looked at the differences between uh, the, the parties and... Uh, you know what, this is where I want to be. And if other people don't like it, well, I have a couple of words for them. <laughs> but anyway, that's, uh, you know, that's my thought on it. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I love my community. I, I'm going to stand up for my community. All right. Jenny, where is the Alberta party? Well, I get to use something that Miles has offered and he didn't bring up today. So to me, what Miles said, and I, I've been saying at the doors, it's true, is we want to represent people. So, you know, if I'm elected in Calgary Northwest, that's Calgary Northwest having a big voice at the table. So it's the opportunity as, you know, Carrie, she dropped off, so I'll touch on some of her things is, you know, the, because we have this two horse race, it's very like, well, it's possible that we could be forming government with whoever, whoever, um, well, I mean, if it's even split or whatever, we can wait and see what that looks like. But the, um, if we are able to, back on, if we are able to, um, to do that, what Barry has suggested is that we won't be using the with vote. So to me, this is an opportunity for us to restore some sense of getting away from first past the post. If we can help, um, you know, make sure that good ideas from other side of the table, you know, I didn't touch on the um, um, sub-regional plans, like the UCP put forward sub-regional plans, which in my view are the basis of a sustainable development plan in Alberta. I want to see those move forward. I don't want, let's say, an NDP government to come in and actually even the UCP, it's not in any of this energy transition. So to me, I want to carry forward an idea that was 10 years in the making, by the way, with industries, multiple industries. And we've, our government has left the people that have built this project like with, with nowhere to go with it. So how do you enforce any, any long-term plans in Alberta without the government backing up these ideas? So to me, yeah, to hold account, to use our voices, as Brent said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing this work, work on May 30th, no matter what. You know, I've got avenues that I will make sure that 
I will be bringing forward my ideas for sustainability in Alberta, regardless of the election. So if people don't want that, I'm here. We're real. You know, we are we are candidates because there are people like us out there. People have to understand that that is the space that exists. So. All right. We got Carrie back. So I'm going to I'm going to bring Carrie back in. Carrie, you missed the question. So I'll, I'll ask it again. Um, the. You know, there's a lot of people who are looking at the the raw numbers and they're saying the Alberta party is running 13 candidates. Um, what what are you hoping to accomplish here? Because you won't form government, you won't form opposition. What do you get with 13 candidates? Where's the Alberta party? Oh, we got to unmute though. Oh, there we go. There yeah, we go. sorry, I, I lost, lost you guys, but yeah, I'm back. Um, you know, local representation matters. The Alberta party and all 13 candidates are in this for the right reasons and will be fantastic MLAs and will serve with integrity and be the voice for the people in their communities they will serve. And right now what we're seeing, some people wanna make this election all about two parties or, or two leaders. That's a huge problem for democracy because it's supposed to be representative democracy where we have civic participation, where people feel represented by their local represent representative. So we have a huge value add here. Some encouragement from, from the past, the Alberta party was pulling at something like 2% or something when Greg Clark was elected. Look, you got, you got to start somewhere. And so if local communities can get behind local leaders and people who care about their communities and will serve well. And heck, you, you've seen you've seen tonight the caliber, the caliber of the candidates stepping up for the Alberta party. It's not for power. It's not for money. It's not for title. It's because they genuinely care about their communities and the future of our province. And they have skills to offer our province. So, you know, I'm always cautiously optimistic. And uh, it's been done before. So I think we can elect a couple seats and uh, let's get at it. But really, it, it doesn't happen on social media. It happens at community events and at the doors. So I, I know my fellow candidates are, are spending their time in the communities and knocking on doors and we just keep at it. Okay. And I mean, to your point of the 13 quality candidates, um, you, you guys almost had 14. And you made a you made a choice there. Uh, may or may not have dodged a bullet. That's probably up to some interpretation. Uh, I'm not going to say one way or the other because I've got enough legal problems. But uh, the the next question that I wanted to ask, and this comes down to one of the core criticisms that we see a lot of people putting towards the Alberta Party, and it comes down to identity. You know, in a province like Alberta, and as we've seen, the the Overton window has been nicely renovated way off to the side, but in a province like Alberta, people want to be able to understand where is their candidate located on the, the political spectrum. I'm just going to ask the question, and it's a yes or a no. Going to run the room in a second here, but we're talking about who is the Alberta party. Is the Alberta party a choice for conservatives? Is the Alberta party, does it have conservative elements? Is the Alberta party a conservative party? Miles, you're up first. Is the Alberta party a conservative party? Yes or no? And now Miles. <laughs> Trying to click on the thing. Um, 
I would say yes. One way to do I'm, it. I'm conservative. I see myself as having small C conservative viewpoints in the traditional political sense. But like you said, Nate, the, the spectrum and terms have gone all wibbly wobbly timey wimey in the last 10 years. And yeah, I, I'm not sure what the terms mean anymore. Um, but there's elements there that resound with me. And I, I feel my views, my political views, um, really haven't changed in, oh good Lord, how old am I now? I'm 40, uh, 25 years or so. But I've seen parties leave me and move away from uh, what I've believed in. In early university, I was involved with the Canadian Alliance Club and then the Conservative Party of Canada. Yes, I was. And then they got the majority and I was like, okay, and I was in LA, uh, in Los Angeles, doing my PhD there when I heard about the barbaric hotline, barbaric cultural practices hotline, and I thought it was a joke. And then I found I was like, oh, dear God. Um, so yeah, that happens. Parties leave where they should be. And so I'm fine here. I'm fine sitting here and saying I'm a conservative. It's not a bad word or dirty word, but <laughs> all right, lots of people trying to make up one. It, well, <laughs> You know, it, and it does mean a bunch of different things to people. One of the things that we've yeah. seen from a lot of provincial polling lately is that most Albertans define themselves as being conservative, but where they sit is actually more to the center. So maybe I should have parsed the question that way. But Carrie, you're up next. Is the Alberta Party a conservative party? Yes or no? Well, we're sure attracting conservatives. I consider myself a principled pragmatist. I'm, I'm ready to transcend outdated political modeling. I don't think that's how we move forward. Um, I think it divides more than it brings people together and I'm committed to progress. So that means we have to bring hearts and minds have to change in order to achieve progress. Um, I'll just give you a really quick anecdotal stories from the doors. Uh, one gentleman, he says, I'm a conservative. I could never vote for you. And I said, well, what's your top issue in this election? And he said, homelessness. He said, I've born and raised in Calgary. I've never seen it so tough here and everybody should have a roof over their head. And I don't want my daughter to grow up in that kind of a society where people don't have a home. That was his number one issue. Another lady at the doors tells me she's a conservative. I asked her, what's, what's your top issue? She says, youth at risk. So there's a heck of a lot of compassionate conservatives out there. And I say, welcome. So yeah, if that's a home for the Alberta party for compassionate conservatives who are principled, and their North Star is, is pretty set on, you know, the dignity and quality of every Albertan. Arms wide open. Welcome. All right. Kara, I'm going to take a cue from you with the, the evolution and the transcension. And I'm going to rephrase my question a little bit. Dr. Grace, is the Alberta Party a compassionate conservative party? Yes, we are an open-minded, compassionate conservative party. And I was, you know, while other people were talking, I'm like, am I conservative? Am I not? Am I conservative? Am I not? And the truth is I am very financially conservative. When I grew up on a farm and you save for a rainy day, going to university, I worked hard to get the scholarships. At the end of my PhD, I thought I was gonna be living in my car because you know, you, you leave with 50 grand in debt and it's like, holy cow, no job. What am I gonna do? I think, and I did, I slept in my car for one night. Um, so I can say I am very financially conservative. I believe money needs to go, needs to be prioritized where it needs to be spent, spent best. And that's for those who need it the most and say for a rainy day. So I love what one 
what one um, older gentleman said at the door to me. He said, yes, you're the person for me because I'm an open-minded conservative. There we go. All right. So I'll go stay with that. Janet, is the Alberta Party a compassionate conservative party? Uh, I'm going to go with yes. Uh, I consider, personally, I consider myself very much a centrist. I consider myself maybe not fiscally conservative, but let's call me fiscally pragmatic and definitely socially progressive. Um, and I, and it, that's why I think I fit with the Alberta party because it's there. We're all kind of hanging around somewhere in the middle and the whole mixture just works together because we, we pull ideas from each other and we can appreciate each other's points of view. I think that's why this center aligned um, bubble that we're in with the Alberta party is exactly the right place for me. And for a lot of very disenfranchised small C conservatives, because there are a lot of them out there. They're never NDPers, but they don't feel like the UCP is home anymore either, because it's not the conservative party that they, that they remember from, you know, the Peter Lougheed or Ralph Klein days. It's not the progressive conservative party anymore. It's so far right. Nobody recognizes it anymore, including we, lifelong conservatives. Yeah. We just had a conversation with Thomas Lekasik and he was very, very clear that the, I mean, a, the, the United Conservative Party, it's like the weather in Calgary. What does it stand for? Wait five minutes. We'll find out, um, especially under, it seems, under Daniel Smith and, and Thomas Lekasik makes no words on that. Uh, so I think that you're you're bang on. I think there are a lot of, of, of small C conservatives who are looking for a home, which brings me to Brent. Brent, is the Alberta Party a home for small C conservatives? Is it the home for compassionate conservatives? Yes or no? It is absolutely a home for both of those. Um, it's also a home for the 51% of the NDP voters who are voting against the UCP. So it's it's not, uh, oh, and that's a, 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 a poll that's coming out later this week. Um, but uh, yeah, the Alberta Party. I mean, it's basically in their in their uh, in their tagline that we're fiscally responsible and socially engaged. So we are on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, and I'm with Kerry. I I think putting a label on us is probably not the right thing to do. However, the people that gravitate toward us have given themselves a label that maybe they want to. Okay. Jenny, I got to ask, yeah. we got Brent saying, I don't know about labels. I don't know about you, but when I go to the store, I like to know, am I buying skim milk or am I buying whole milk? I think labels might have a place. Is the Alberta party a compassionate conservative party? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. What I've been trying to say to people is we're trying to restore the progressive conservative party or the L word, you know, in the middle. To me, those weren't far apart. We can't forget that Canada, you know, when you use, when you can, when you do poll or um, those surveys to see which party you go for, we're not that far apart. Like I've had friends break down by question where we, what, what actually makes you conservative versus liberal versus NDP. 
And we're really not that far apart. It's this appearance of it with what's happened with this two-party situation that we're in. So, and you know, this is why people dance around this discussion with this left and right leaning, which drives me insane because I'm a geophysicist. There's no such thing as left and right. It's a spectrum. The spectrum wraps like a double rainbow shows you this. There's no left and right. So to me, it's again, so I'll tell a story quickly, as Carrie said. A man at, that I got to meet with said, are you left-leaning? And I said, yes, because he finally broke me down. Well, that's what I was worried about. So the problem I have with that is my strength is knowing that we have neglected the environment and we've neglected the people of Alberta. That cannot make you fiscally responsible if you neglect those things. That's where we're seeing an expansive healthcare problem. And we're seeing our education system fall off the rails. So sorry, I'm using more than my two minutes. <laughs> no, that was good. And by the way, um, props for navigating what could have been an extraordinarily uncomfortable position because with everybody else more or less saying yes, and you being the last person to go, I think that's pretty much the textbook definition of peer pressure. So uh, well, well weathered there. Last Wait, I just want to, can I just add something on there? Sure. Um, so as I was navigating my way to the Alberta party, um, I had some really interesting observations like in the, in the last year. So one of the things that stood out for me was Calgary Pride. And to me, Calgary Pride represents UCP, NDP, Alberta Party. And this is what we saw. The UCP weren't invited. They weren't invited to Pride. Um, obvious reasons. The NDP, well, I don't know if it's obvious reasons. Anyway, they weren't, they weren't at Pride. The NDP had a sea of orange, you know, I, I don't know how many volunteers they had, but they had a sea of orange. Look at us. We're all, we're all, at, we're all at pride. We, we support pride. And then the Alberta party, we were there. Jenny walked with a group that invited her. Harry walked with a group that invited her. I stood on the side with my family. We went to all the events because we're there in our community, but it's not about us. And to me, that represents who we are as the Alberta party is we will walk alongside you, but we will not make it about us. Okay. Well, that brings me to my last question quite nicely. You segged me in there without me even having to try. And that question is, you know, one of the, the things that people are saying, I've said it myself on the show, is this election represents in many ways an existential crisis for the province of Alberta. Um, I'm going to reference the the conversation that I had with Mr. Lekasik because he's got way more experience in politics than than I do. I just make jokes and say funny things. Um, and I'm really sarcastic, but Thomas Lekasik, because he's, he's got the whole lived experience and he, he's very clear for him. He's come out and he's in, he's in, not only has he endorsed the NDP, but he's actually door knocking for the NDP, which for somebody who was under Klein and I mean, we count five premiers, five conservative premiers, Mr. Lukasik served under and his approach, his, his rationale is that because the UCP under Daniel Smith are throwing out the rule book and as we see consistently facts, they're just making shit up these days. Um, we have a governing party that not only doesn't have a basic understanding of how governance is supposed to work in the province of Alberta, you can't just 
deputized plane loads of ambassadors. I wish I was making that up. Um, that's not a thing that you can do. This is the person who is at the head of one of the parties that's positioned to become potentially the next government for the next four years. Um, it, it, Mr. Lekasik has said the UCP has become so chaotic, so destabilized, and so disrespectful of the fundamental principles that are supposed to govern our society. We can't mess around in this election. We have to. We have to choose the the best shot for um, stopping the 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 UCP menace. I'm I'm paraphrasing on the socialist menace thing because why not? Uh, so the question is, why is the Alberta Party? Why is the Alberta Party running in this election? We've seen it happen before in other provincial uh, other provincial contests where a party has said, "Oh, we're so screwed." Okay, vote for those guys. Um, why? Why is why is the Alberta Party running? What's the argument? Um, and I'm not I'm not weighing in on a position one way or the other here. To be clear. Um, but this is a comment that has come up repeatedly. It's certainly any time that the breakdown makes mentions the Alberta party in, in Twitter, everybody has thoughts. So, Miles, I'm going to go to you first. Why is the Alberta party running in this election? Why is it important that the Alberta party run in this election? Well, first of all, since you mentioned uh, Mr. Lekazik, if he's watching this, hello. Um, I was a page 20 some odd years ago when he was first elected. So um, I served with uh, him and many other MLAs back then. And maybe that's part of the reason why we need why I'm running because back then even though Ralph Klein and Nancy Macbeth really didn't like each other and did not talk you saw a lot of collaboration between people in the PC seats in the liberal seats in the two NDP seats um, Raj Panu and uh, Brian Mason there no I, when I started it was still um oh crap Mrs. Barrett anyway I'm old. I can't remember these things from when I'm 20. Um, but what you said, Nate, there, I think is really important. The UCP, they should, they're not really good at government and they're not going to be good at opposition. A good legislature, an operating and effective legislature needs good people on both sides of this. Being his, his majesty's loyal or his majesty's opposition it doesn't mean just saying no to everything that the government is putting out it's about being there to question or as greg clark uh, i think usually put it not just to oppose but to propose and we saw our mlas doing that between greg uh, karen mcpherson and uh, rick and that's why we need some other voices here and also if you were if we really want to get rid of this Franken party that is the UCP, um, you need to give people an option. They are not, not everyone is just going to vote NDP. And I see that, like I saw that here in, in Lacombe at the trade show, plenty of people like, well, we can't do that. Okay, well, are you going to check me out? And as some other people said, I saw, you know, long time conservatives in this area that have been died and true, you know, Probably, I mean, I don't know if they went back to the social credit days, but social credit, PCs, and then UCP, they're not happy. And I got a few people saying like, yep, you got my vote and I'm going to tell everyone. So if we can restore sanity to both sides of the political force in Alberta, that would be great. All right, Carrie, same question. What's your answer? <laughs> so look at this. <laughs> The outcome of this election is not an end, it's just the beginning. A shakeup is coming, it has to. 
and it has to start somewhere. So if, if we get even a couple of seats, we can be part of meaningful change. And I'm always very transparent and open. And, and I considered the NDP myself in light of what I was seeing with the UCP. I couldn't even get my husband to support me with the NDP. He's not alone. There are literally thousands and thousands of Albertans who will never vote NDP for various reasons. And they're really unhappy with what they're seeing in the current government. And so like Miles said, people deserve an option. Democracy matters. And the work that I've done for several years meeting refugees from all over the world, you know, we have such incredible democratic rights here. You can't take it for granted. It's not much of a democracy if there's just one or even two on the ballot. We gotta give people an option and democratic participation matters. And heck, look out, if we, if we get some seats here, it's going to change the future of our province in the best way imaginable. So yeah, sure, are we the underdogs and long shot? But man, it is a long shot worth taking. Why? Because we care about our communities and the future of our province. I was waiting, you, you opened with, it's not the, the end, it's just the beginning. I was waiting for you to go to, we'll fight them on the seas and the oceans, we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them <laughs> on the landing grounds. But you, did, you didn't quite get there, it was fiery though. Aunt, Dr. Grace. All right, well, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just share, share a question I got. So the question I got was, which party is, which party needs to win to beat the UCP? And my response to that was, well, let's take a step back from it. There's two, there's, there's a few different ways of looking, of, of looking at this election. It can be, we have to defeat the UCP. And then we have the other side of, well, we can't let the NDP get back in. So those are the two things, those are the, the two things that I'm hearing. And so I said, well, if the goal is to defeat the UCP, on the ballot in Calgary Varsity, you have two options that can beat the UCP. If the goal is to not let the NDP get back in again, you have two options on the ballot. If the goal is to form really good government where you have a voice, you're supported in your community, you have someone trustworthy that you can talk to and know that you're going to be represented, then you only have one choice. And guess which one? Guess which person, guess which candidate fits in all three categories? So that's what I look at is people can look at voting out of fear. So sure, if you're gonna vote out of fear and you have to get rid of the UCP, then you have to vote NDP. If you don't want the NDP back in and you're too nervous about, about a smaller third viable option, then you have to vote UCP. But if you truly want change, then you need to strip the colors and strip the initials away from the party and look at the people on the ballot in front of you and ask who has the ethics, the civic mindedness, the education, the responsibility, and the willingness to do, step in and do the right thing. I think, we're, I think we're really starting to look at electoral reform over the next however many years in Alberta. And as what Carrie said, this is the start. Okay. Next up, I hope we've got, uh, hopefully, uh, Janet, there we are. Oh, sorry. I just needed a cheesy break. <laughs> Janet! I like you, Janet. I like you. But those are orange. <laughs> I like you 
Cruz. Okay. Um, I, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to come this deep into the conversation when so many brilliant answers have been, have been uh, positive thus far, but um, I have to agree. I have to echo Carrie and to revert to the um, Avengers theme. This is not the end game. This, we're about to enter one to one of Dr. Strange's alternate universes in the multiverse. Change is a coming, people, and the Alberta party is going to lead that change because that's what we're intended to do. That is literally our mandate is to lead that change and take Alberta beyond where it is now, beyond the divisive politics, beyond the the oh absolutely disgusting rhetoric that gets spewed by both of the, the the bigger parties it's our job to lead right up the middle and tell people that there is another option there is a sane collaborative viable option for progress in the province of alberta and you're looking at seven of them right here all Six. right sorry can't do the math uh i'm definitely definitely not running <laughs> as 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 i'm on the record saying not with a gun to my head would i run in another election but brent i'm going to pose the same question to you why with 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 such an existential crisis facing the province of alberta by all sides it seems to be the one thing that everybody can agree on we've got a problem here why is the alberta party something that people should be considering when the stakes are so high well, I'd like to uh, start with uh, the answer that the former premier uh, gave to many questions like yours. I'm, I'm going to reject your premise. Um, there is no existential crisis. Um, the world will not come to an end, no matter which party wins this election, and the sky will not fall. Um, Thomas, I like him. Thomas? I, I, where I, where I lived, uh, before a cage match uh, here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before be, be, where, where, where I lived before, um, Edmonton decor was castle downs. I met Thomas on several occasions. I voted for him in the infamous recount year where he won by one vote after the recount. And I've always told him that I'm the reason why he got elected. Um, and so uh, when the leadership uh, uh, race was on and he did not succeed, he hasn't been the same person. And I think we all know that. We've seen it, seen it in his posts. I love you, Thomas. Okay. But you're an angry man sometimes and angry at the UCP. But I, um, I, I, I sent uh, Thomas a message uh, a couple of weeks ago saying, are you going to make good on your promise and uh, and knock in uh, Edmonton Southwest? Because he hadn't yet. Well, in the next weekend, he was out knocking. Um, so because I remembered his earlier tweet where he where he uh, uh, professed to the NDP candidate that he'd come down because Casey Madu had uh, posted something that he didn't like. And he said, well, I'm just going to go down there and knock. But anyway, um, you know, none of that stuff is really going to bother me. Um, I, I'm going to repeat 
uh, a comment I saw from Stephen Carter when he was asked about vote splitting and stuff like that, or there was a conversation on vote splitting that he just jumped into. And his comment was, whenever there's a third horse in the race, it only means you need less votes to win. Makes sense to me. So um, uh, I don't believe in the in the fear, and I don't believe that fear and hatred should run the election. Um, it's just going to be the same story in four years. And this was the story four years ago. So no, I, the only way we're going to make that story go away is make a change in the legislature. I, I got to challenge you a little bit on that one. I mean, A, I, I didn't see that anybody was going to be invoking Voldemort tonight. So that's kind of fun. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I do think. And I, I respect what you're saying about the fear piece. I, I sincerely, I do. I think that when people, you know, emotional decisions are rarely good ones. Um, but that being said, I, I keep, I have had so many conversations with so many people saying, please tell me that the person who's occupying the premier's office right now is not as bad as I think they are. And I've had this conversation with members of caucus. I've had this conversations with ministers. No, I'm not going to say who they are. So nobody try to jespo me here. But there are a lot of people who are looking at the situation and going, you know, because my thing has always been, well, for the last little while has been, I got to go all the way back to Bible Bill to find something this messed up. And the one thing that I... One of the things that I got told from a UCP MLA not that long ago was, well, I don't think it's the same as Bible Bill because at least he had caucus cohesion. And that's terrifying to me. That that statement coming from inside the house, that is, uh, we're, we're into some not normal times. I, I think it's safe to, I mean, I, I respect everything that you're saying. I totally do. But I, I really don't want to go down the road of minimizing just how we're in the upside down. We are. Uh, and I think that I, I just have to acknowledge that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to call you out or anything there, man, but uh, I don't want to minimize the very bad things that are happening because there are some very bad things that are happening right now. Today's press conference, particularly. I agree with you. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, that uh, the current party is not, uh, is not the party for us. I don't think they're going to be elected anyway, um, quite frankly, but you know, stranger things have happened. Stranger um, thing. Here we go. Upside down, brought a full circle. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're still, we're, we're just going to stay the course on this one, Nate. And we may take some flack. I've had some people uh, call me out saying, why am I here? You don't need to be here, blah, blah, blah. Um, hey, it's democracy. You don't like it, take a hike. I mean, really? You know, you want to you wanna stomp on something that I believe in? Let's go. Like, what do you want? Uh, you know, what do you want to talk about what you believe in it? We'll we'll have a conversation that way. So anyway, that's that's where my head's at there. No. And I was I was I to be clear, I respect the, the heck out of your uh, level demeanor. Uh, and I'm not trying to trying to call that out in any way. I just I, I think that when we have somebody in office like Smith to to minimize the threat that she is, is a is a dangerous road. And I. Just 
So, so let me put this to you then, because I put this to somebody out there and they didn't really have an answer for me. So um, let's imagine for a second that vote splitting is a thing. Okay, we'll give you that. And, and uh, let's say the goal is to get Danielle Smith out of office. Um, then, and do we all, can we all agree that there are a bunch of writings out there that are going to be won by the UCP? Do we agree that that's, they're going to win, oh, yeah. right? No question. And so if, if the goal is to get Danielle Smith out of office and there is a writing that is in all likelihood going to go UCP, but there's an Alberta candidate in that riding. Why doesn't the NDP fold their tent and, and put their support behind the Alberta party candidate to knock the UCP one off? It's the same logic, the same rationale. Um, and they, they will never argue, they will never um, admit it, but it's exactly the same rationale. I've heard some people propose that there should have been some collaboration between the NDP and the Alberta Party earlier on to determine what what writings those might have been. But I don't I don't want I don't want to spend too much time on that because uh, I want to make sure that I give Jenny the chance to to weigh in because um, she's had to go last this whole time and I should have probably yeah. reversed the order. So that was probably <laughs> my part. That's no, good. I talked too much. <laughs> um, so I think the the where I can see where Brent is coming from is because he's in Edmonton and he doesn't see what we see or hear, I should say, at the doors in Calgary. So the first thing is, yeah, I'm I'm pretty terrified of what Danielle Smith is doing. So, and and I did not take lightly the fact that I was entering the fray not for the obvious choice. Now, the problem that I had is that the obvious choice didn't have the solution that I can see possible for Alberta. So that's not something I could change. So to your point about us collaborating with the NDP, if that conversation could have happened in an alternate universe, possibly, but that didn't happen. So, and the other thing I would say is, is we're not the UCP. Like to Brent's point, we are an option for those that can't stomach, as Terry said, going all the way over to the, all the way over this far to the NDP, right? So. To me, it's this, um, we need to offer a space because the reality is there are a lot of people that are buying in to the rhetoric that's being put out. There are a lot of people that do not understand, like, um, you know, I I think I've already repeated it. I gave that example today of that gentleman that said that he doesn't understand why the, the federal government isn't giving pipelines. You know, this is rhetoric that is from people that are in the industry. We have to understand that this is, we're inside this problem in Alberta, all of us. We're all a part of this problem. And so we need people that can offer different points of view to get us out of it. It's not going to come from, you know, bullying people into going another way. It's not the, it's not the solution. We're going to replace bullying with bullying. No, that's not how we get there. We get there through pragmatic, ideas and people that actually are care about the people that and the job i want to do the actual job so if people don't want that we got to ask ourselves why and we and and if change is needed now and i'm going to bring up something that actually i'm sorry nate going long but we're not even talking about the climate crisis in this province 
we're having an election and we are on the verge of some serious potential changes to our climate within the next election cycle. And we don't have the same news being given to us in Alberta that's happening in other provinces. And I think if we did, people would understand that, that this is a critical issue that we have to face together. And to me, you know, I'm I'm willing to speak my mind in this space. I, I was told today at the doors, don't don't talk about climate change. That's not real. From a geologist, we we measure climate change. We've seen instantaneous climate change in rock samples on out at outcrop. We know that storm events happen. And they're in the rock record. We can't deny this stuff yet. We're not even talking about it. So you know, that's if that's at a minimum. I'm using this opportunity to talk about it at the doors every chance I get. People need to understand that this is real. We need to, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm trying to problem solve. I'm just the messenger, you know, let's not shoot the messengers here. We're trying to solve problems. There we go. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I think that uh, you raised an excellent point on the climate change piece, by the way, because the 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 science is pretty unequivocal. As we see more climate change, we're going to see more extreme weather events. And all you have to do is take a look at Northeast Calgary to go, oh, yeah, no, this can affect people for reals. Uh, so it's it's but it is a deeply polarizing issue that I mean, as you said yourself, there's people who are evidence based workforces who will go, oh, but I don't want to. Uh, and so it's that, hard. yeah, it's not easy. Right. And that's why, you know, I think this is, it's easier for us to just fall back on what we're doing. It's harder for us to, to step forward. You know, I'll, one last thing, Nate, I'm sorry, but I've had some people say to me, you have an uphill battle, but the bottom line is, is we have an uphill battle. We all do. This is change isn't easy and it takes people to actually believe that it's possible. So I, I can't vote for anybody else. I'm just presenting an option. And, and I'm, you know, so to me, it's, it's up to Alberta. If they're ready for change, as Janet said, we are, that's our MO. We're trying to offer a positive change in this process. Okay. And as you say that, I find myself wondering, you never hear people say you have a downhill battle. That's just not a turn of phrase that you hear. And I don't know why. I want to give everybody the opportunity to say one last thing. We are approaching, as much as I did the the uh, the Infinity War thing as a bit, we're approaching Infinity War time length here. So to anybody who's watched, watching the episode or is listening to this on the podcast and you've gotten this far, good for you. At least it's not in a movie theater, so you can pee when you want to. That's nice. Um, but I got to ask you, Everybody, 30 seconds or less, what's the one thing that you want people to walk away from this conversation hearing? Uh, and I am going to flip it up. I'm going to let Jenny go first this time. So, Jenny, what's the final thoughts? Yeah, just I guess I'll say like I just offered May 30th. I am doing the same thing I'm doing today. So that's all. I Thank you. Okay. Brent. Oh, you're 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 muted there, dude. I in in short, a third choice is a healthy choice. Healthy for the province and healthy for the citizens in it. All right. And I assume a third choice doesn't necessarily cause heart attacks either. I'm betting it doesn't, and we don't have to blame ourselves for them then. There you go. <laughs> Janet. 
Well, I'm used to being the cockeyed optimist in the room, but with this bunch, I, there's some of them I can't hold a candle to. Um, that said, I truly do believe that the Alberta party is an option. And you know what? If, again, this is this is the long game, right? This is the infinity war. We're sticking around. We're not going anywhere. And the cockeyed optimist in me tells me that, you know what? The glass isn't just half full. The glass is half full and I'm the bartender. So I'm going to keep tending bar in my neck of the woods and keep doling out truth bombs when people want to talk to me. And again, like Jenny, on May 30th, I will still be in my community doing the things that I always do. I will go back to being the mayor if they choose to put somebody else in the MLA seat for Laxane and Parkland. I'll go back to being the mayor and I'll go back to making change at the local level where I can make the impact. Excellent. I have to say, um, I was not a fan of the last Doctor Strange movie. That was really hard for me. I'm a big Benedict Cumberbatch fan. I watched Sherlock on basically repeat, but that last one, it just didn't land for me. Uh, Dr. Grace, <laughs> closing thoughts. Well, I've almost forgotten the question. Um, okay. I Do you know, uh, this is how I think about this upcoming election. This is not the Stanley Cup. It is not Edmonton versus Calgary, even though I don't think that's happening this year anyway, but it's not Edmonton versus Calgary. It's not urban versus rural. It's not orange versus blue. We are forming new government to make decisions for our children, for our environment, for our future. Like this is new government. So we really need to step back from the drama and really take a look at who is putting their name forward in your constituency to serve you. Are they going to serve their own agenda, a leader's agenda, or are they going to serve you? So this isn't the Stanley Cup. I've been to one hockey game my entire life. I don't sports. So. For anyone tired of the sports analogies in politics, the Alberta parties, your team. There you go. All right. <laughs> Gary Cundall. Oh, yeah. Before we get to the, the circle takes the center square. <laughs> oh, thanks, Nate. Uh, you know, thank you so much for this opportunity. You know, it, it, it matters to have some kind of coverage on what people's options are on the ballot because that's what this is about. You know, it's about local representation. I'll go back to that. We, we forget sometimes the why of all of this. And I think Dr. Angela Grace sort of highlighted some of the whys. It is about your voice in government. Who's going to represent you? Who's going to listen to you? And when I've heard, I had met one lady, Greg Clark hosted an event for me and had a bunch of people there. And one lady you know, she was very concerned about the question that you posed was making sure that Daniel Smith is not in office. And so I said to her, I said, well, and so she was looking at it from a leader perspective, Rachel Notley versus Daniel Smith. And I said, well, I can tell you one thing. I said, Rachel Notley and Daniel Smith, they're not going to be on your ballot. And I'll even go further. They're probably not going to answer your phone call, probably not even your email. So if you really care about somebody local who's going to be a genuine representative for you, you got to take a look at who's on the ballot. And so I'm really passionate about this. And this is what Greg Clark did for us when he served. He was a lonely member to start. 
he served well. And as he didn't just oppose, he proposed and he had critical feedback that was useful when he was, you know, a lonely single member in uh, the legislature. And he was respected by many from different political parties. And so I think there's value, an incredible value. And I think what he started needs to continue probably now more than ever, especially when we see the shakeup coming, because there's the people that are saying to me, they'll, they'll vote for me are the never NDP people. So these folks, if you don't want them voting for UCP, then, hey, hello, uh, wouldn't you rather have them vote for me then? You know, so so there's there's value to that. And so, yeah, we're just going to go right to the end. And, and like I said, it's it's the outcome of the election is not the end. It, it will be just the beginning, because as Janet Brown says, it's it's a wild ride. And the other thing that she says that really resonated with me and, and the challenge I see for both parties is she says, you know, often the, the kryptonite for the NDP is their self-righteousness. And the kryptonite for the UCP is their self-entitlement. And so progress requires hearts and minds changing. And there's a lot of Albertans um, who don't respond to finger wagging and, and blaming and shaming. So if we really want to see progress, we're going to have to have some hard conversations, some honest conversations, and include people in those conversations that we might vehemently disagree with, because that's the only way that they're going to move forward with us. So I think there's a real value add to what we're doing, and uh, I'm always cautiously optimistic. There we go. I, I do have to take one one small point of contention with you. I would agree with you. Seven months ago, eight months ago, I would have agreed with you that the UCP's kryptonite is the 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 self-entitled stiff. Now I think it might just be Danielle Smith. But and I swear to God, I didn't do this on purpose. We're ending the Alberta Party conversation in the center with Miles Chikurta. Miles, closing thoughts. What do you got, man? Well, I mean. I remember in 2019, the I don't know what I was doing back then. Um, I saw Alberta and stuff areas I was involved in in trouble, and that's why I stepped up. And I remember the first time I met Nate at one of our things in Edmonton, and I saw said, "Are those Doc Martins?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go door knock everywhere on Doc Martins." And then Nate and I were instantly friends, and it's it's gone from there. Um, I was trying to find. I was just going through my filing cabinets the other day. I have a bunch of globes. From the 2019 election, I was trying to find my one ad where I basically put out it's time to vote for something. And that's, I think that's why I jumped in. Um, people who know me, who have talked to me, uh, I was thinking about it last year, but I, between getting back into the career, teaching at the U of A, it just kept being, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'll think about it after, I'll think about it. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to jump into it with just the anger that was going on. But I think people still needed something to vote for. I jumped into it and man, it's been great. Uh, like just a few weeks, uh, basically a week and a half and kind of like what other people are saying, people are having conversations with me. And that's not even something that happened in 2019. It's like we sit and we chat and it's, and it's great. Like it, that's just so wonderful. That's what democracy and politics and everything should be like. And we need to get back to that. So. I, I am a long-term, my family has been an Albertan family for a very, very long time. And I just hope for the best for us because when Albertans get together and do stuff, we can do great. There you go. I love it. And I don't mind saying today's April 24th, there was a tweet 
that uh, that I may have put out. I did put it out um, I, I, for my personal account, speaking only for myself, because there's more than me involved in the show. So I have to make that clear. <laughs> but um, I've only endorsed one candidate in this election. And it's because I know that person has a deep reverence for the the legislature, for for legislative process and for democracy. And I'm not dissing anybody else who's on the panel tonight, but Miles, you are exactly the kind of person who should be in the legislature as far as I'm concerned. So I was tickled to, to see we're running again. And I know that my endorsement will carry hundreds <laughs> of votes. In La- votes in Lacombe Pinoca. Yeah. It's all in the I bag mean, for you now, man. I can You're tell right? you. I- I could say I could tell you where all the bodies are buried, but I am under an LAO oath, so I can't even tell you Thomas's water order. There you go. I, <laughs> I, I feel like Thomas was like an ice cube guy. You can't answer I that. Shan't say a word. I want to say a big thank you to all of you guys for this is like two hours that we've done here and that's a long time uh so i want to say a big thank you to all of you for sticking around having the conversation um i would encourage everybody to follow the alberta party on social media but you guys i gotta be honest i think your twitter account's drunk i don't know what's going on <laughs> but uh there's there's some conversations or just follow us individually there you go there you, you go. can do that too mine comes with archaeology so and there you go. And I, I, I hear stunning uh, photos of Tilly hats. So there's also that. Um, thank I you have guys. a Tilly as well. There we go. <laughs> yeah. And I have a Tilly fedora. So see, now we're cooking. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to have this conversation. And best of luck in what is almost certain to be one of the uh, most dynamic elections that probably any of us remember. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. That's right. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we would love it if you swung by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and signed up for a small monthly sponsorship of the work that we're trying to do here. It is because of the support that we receive from our Patreon sponsors that we're able to continually up our game, and it is tremendously appreciated. So I want to throw a big thank you out to them. And you can go ahead and visit that website and join and support us as well because we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of these important conversations. And we will see you next time on The Breakdown.